let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, everyone. How are we feeling? Feeling good? Feeling good? Good to be back up here preaching again. I've actually, um, we've had a couple of weeks being served so well uh, by Nick a couple of weeks ago and Aaron last week. So, sorry, I didn't see Aaron there. I thought we were having an earthquake in DY. <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to thank Nick and Aaron. You guys have served us so well, um, helping us through this I Am series. As Aaron said, we're looking at Je- what Jesus says about himself. So much of culture, so much of the media is telling us from their perspective who Jesus is. So we're going to the source material. We've been good journalists, source material. What does Jesus say about himself? I don't know if you have felt recently, maybe in prayer, that you can't access God. I don't know if you felt that feeling before. Uh, that, that feeling of I'm talking to someone that isn't there. Perhaps there's a dividing wall. Uh, perhaps there's a distance. Uh, this, this kind of point where I feel like I can't access God. God isn't listening to me. I remember having to study this book, East of Eden, back in high school, uh, an American book. It's a classic, John Steinbeck. Those of you that English teachers nerd out on this, it's a very profound book. It's actually a book that was released in 1952, and it's a bit of a parable and a parallel of the story of Adam and Eve, and particularly Cain and Abel, um, as if it was set in the 20th century in America, and exploring themes of depravity, moral obligation, love, the struggle for acceptance and greatness, the capacity for self-destruction and of guilt and freedom. And... Steinbeck actually wrote this with a perspective, the idea of what's life like east of Eden when we have been removed from Eden. Uh, If you guys recall in Genesis, the story goes that Adam and Eve, they were living in perfect relationship with the Father. Perfect relationship. They could commune with him, talk with him, hang out with God. Just go for a walk with him in the garden. It literally says Adam got to walk with God in the cool of the day. Like, what a lovely experience, the cool of the day. Picture today, a summer's day, a cool breeze comes in, I get to go to walk with God. And then because of Adam and Eve's sin, we lost our access to God, and we got kicked out of Eden. Um, And it says that we had to leave east of Eden. And Steinbeck wrote this book because he wanted to describe what humanity is like separate from God. And he has this quote describing what the book's about, how the human race has been barred access to the dwelling and temple of God and has made its way without his direct presence in the human condition, struggling 
to find life on earth. The human struggle. The human struggle to find purpose and life on the other side of the garden. I remember hearing it said that a man who knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. That a man knocking on the door of a brothel in his desperation, in his loneliness, is actually looking for a sense of transcendence, a sense of escape, a sense of connection. A man knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And I think this resonates with us because we're all, we're all finding for something to matter. We're all finding some way to close that bridge between us and transcendence to get this sense of inner peace, this shalom back. And John 14 enters into this environment where humanity in its moment and humanity in 2023 on the northern beaches with all of our wealth and toys and promises from our leaders of pleasure and yet we still feel like something isn't right. And enter Jesus and he says, I am the way. Jesus saying, I am the way. I'm the way back to the Father. I'm the way to transcendence. I'm the way to purpose. I am the one that's going to get us back into access with God and set, get back from when we've been disbanded from east of Eden. Now, Jesus saying, I am the way, it's super arrogant. <laughs> hi, my name's James. Nice to meet you. What do you do for work? Oh, hi, my name's Jesus. I am the way. I'm the way back to the Father. Okay, tell me more about that. Thank you for that introduction. I just want us to say this is, this is a remarkable statement. Jesus saying, I am the way that you are going to get back into access and connection with the Father. And what Jesus is really getting here is one of his Jesus' mission statements when he came to earth. He says, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, Jesus, I have come to seek and to save which is lost. That's one of Jesus' mission statements. So we're going back to what he says. He's saying, I've come to seek and to save which is lost. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. I'm the way back home. I'm the way to find security. I am the way to find peace and transcendence. Do you guys notice that people drive different on the way home? Northern Beach people were driving... Big black spot on Sydney is the roads. Sydney's beautiful, but the roads are terrible. Um, so driving to the city, I drive to the city every Tuesday morning. It's dense. You know, there's certain parts that are terrible and there's clogs, but there's a, there's a little bit of sense of a slowness. You know, I've got my podcast home, but man, coming back home, Military Road, Roseville Bridge, particularly the Ringer Road and Waycoast Parkway kind of underpass, people are pinging. They're like, it's hot, I want to get in the water, I want to have a shower, I want to get home as soon as possible. I, don't, I know I feel like I drive like, like that. On the way home, I'm just like, get me out of here. I'm sweating, I'm sticking to my seat of my Mazda 2, I need to be in the water. It's too hot, my day is done. And I think this, this points to the fact that we're always chasing a sense of home. No matter how, I don't know, if you guys think about a busy season you're in, you're already thinking about the next holiday. School teachers, I've heard you say it, week one of term, you're like, all right, it's nine weeks till I have another holiday. You're literally, you're counting down 
till the next holiday. We're always aching for a sense of rest. We're aching for a sense of home. And Jesus says, I am the way. And Jesus' teaching here, when he's saying that I'm the way, he's saying that I'm the way isn't, isn't about following a bunch of rules. Jesus isn't saying the way back to the Father isn't to work harder or to heal yourself. He's saying that I will let you in. I will do the work. This is the idea that Christianity is humanity. This isn't humanity searching for God, but it's actually God coming down to search for humanity. This isn't work harder, try harder, be better, but Jesus saying, I am the way. And I think to become a Christian and to be a Christian is to simultaneously realize I'm not where I'm supposed to be and to have the staggering revelation that God has come to find you. You're not where you're meant to be. You still haven't got home, but God has come to find you. One of my favorite new apps is the Find My Friends app. It's beautiful. You get to stalk on my wife. She says she's somewhere. I'm like, my app knows where your phone is. But the beauty of the app is that it only gets to locate where you are. This blue dot is only showing where you are. The app doesn't do anything divine and show us where we're meant to be. We need to put in a location to show where we are meant to be. And so Jesus is so helpfully saying, when he's saying, I am the way, I am the way back to the Father, and the disciples are asking him, we don't know how to get back to the Father. We're lost. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the way. And let me tell you, it's a devastating thing to have to settle for less than what your heart wants. It's a devastating thing to settle for less than what your heart wants because you don't know where you're meant to go. We know where we are. Our apps tell us where we are. A lot of our gurus and the people we put the faith in for the good life can tell us where we are, our starting point, but it won't show us where we're meant to be. And Jesus shows up to come and get you, to bring you in, and to give you a sense of purpose and life. That's who he is. I am the way. And again, even more so for our sensitive 21st century is he says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And now in a time of every all truth is subjective and truth can be contested and it's about how we feel. Jesus comes in with another extraordinary claim and I actually think bolder than saying I am the way for the 21st century saying I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And this is profound because Christianity, Jesus isn't a, we're saying that Jesus isn't a moral teacher. He's not just a good leader. He's not a political revolutionary. He is God in the flesh, the second member of the Trinity. He can look us in the eye and speak to the very thoughts and mind of God about reality. And this is what, when he says, I'm the truth, that for thousands of years, people have read the words of Jesus. And it's resonated with this startling power and these effects that just want us to turn around our life. And they reorientate their whole life to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. And when you read Jesus, you can't help but have to, to weigh this up and say, okay, this, this, this man is claiming to be God and have the way back to God and that he is the truth. This is how people come up to me. I had this conversation two weeks ago. 
man, how do I become a Christian? Like, how, how does it happen? Do I tick a box? You know, how, how do I believe in the gospel? And my first response is, just go read it. Go read it for yourself. Start in John. It's probably my favorite starting point. Just start in John. And as you read Jesus and you hear him say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, you can't help but be confronted and compelled about who he is. And I looked up what's the most popular show on in Australia right now, The Last of Us. It's awesome as well. But The Last of Us, you know, this, this, this man and younger girl, they're trying to find their way home. It will take you the time you watch two episodes of The Last of Us to read all of John's gospel. That's it. And you just read it and come face to face and confront with Jesus and Jesus will do the work. You can't help but be confronted about who he is and what he says about life and purpose and reality and he will make you make a decision one way or the other to follow him or not. Now, I think I've got to enter into this idea of truth. Again, our sensitive 2023 is uh, we rub up against the idea of truth, uh, that there's this idea of absolute truth. You know, how arrogant of you Christians to think that you have the absolute truth. You guys know the way and the truth and the life. Uh, there was a recent study done saying <clears throat> seven out of ten teenagers say that all religions are equally valid. <clears throat> seven out of ten teens say that all religions are equally valid. So what they're basically saying is that they're all true. They're all equally true, that there isn't this idea of absolute truth. And, and again, this isn't about what I believe, but do you know how insulting it would be to a true Buddhist who doesn't believe in a divine personal being to tell them what you live in, it isn't true? Or a devout Muslim who believes in Allah and the Prophet Muhammad as distinct and none of that stuff really matters, that what you believe isn't true? And who, who of us in Western society to ideologic, ideologically colonize our thinking that everything has to fit in our white Western liberal board? That is the life we live in, that there's truth is contested. Now, uh, it is very important for me to say that we are made in God's image and that free will exists. You guys are allowed to have your preferences. Me and you both are allowed to have truth. So we're allowed to have preferences but do not moralize your preference into absolute truth. Otherwise, your life just falls into chaos. And I think we're getting a taste of that. When our preferences fall into absolute truth, we live in to absolute chaos. And look, we could do a whole sermon about is there absolute truth, right or wrong. Um, but I think this idea that there is absolute truth is quite easy to prove. You guys have been to an airport. Airports get very busy. Peak hour airport, you get off the airport. Again, you're really tired. You really just want to get home, have a shower, rest. But you've got to go through the queues. You know, you've got to go through customs. So next time you're at the airport, when there's a long queue, like the ones that are like really disturbingly long, you're counting how long it would go for, I want you to go to the very front of the queue and with a loud voice declare, I identify as first in line. That's what I identify as. I identify first in line and I just want you to cut in. And it's a great social experience because you'll just see that even in m the majority of people, and I think all people, there's a line, there's an internal value that has been crossed. 
and you'll be, <laughs> you'll be told to, 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 to beat it. And Aussies really value fairness. So anytime you see someone cutting in line, you guys hate it when someone cuts in line. I absolutely hate it. When someone cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, no, Aussies are about fairness. Like, let's do the zipper thing one at a time. No, come on, stop cutting in. There's this idea. And, and us, just, just because someone says, I identify first in line, it's not enough. It's not enough. Here's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the truth. You can have your preferences and they're valid, but you can't have truth. You have to align with truth in a society. And when you take it away, what you're left with is power dynamics and culture wars. Welcome to 2023. When there is no absolute truth, you're left with power dynamics and culture wars when everything can be contested. And those that just have power, they get to decide decide what's true. And culture wars will pick a side and we will put down whoever's on the other side of us and dehumanize them. And we are left with chaos. And people start to weaponize opinions and moralize opinions and people beating up and doing horrific cultural things based on categorizations and subjective feelings and power structures. And Jesus comes along and says, you need the words of eternal truth to break through these temporal structures. You need something that will break through every culture's wars to tell you who you are. You actually need something outside of yourself to identify yourself. You need a reference point beyond your subjective feelings to know who you truly are. And that's profound. And it's challenging because our ears and our media and everything, the air we breathe, has been telling us that our subjective feelings is absolute truth. Now, how can we believe Jesus? It's just a bold statement. For centuries, millennia, men and women have been standing up saying, I know the truth, bend the knee. I know the way, I know the truth, bend the knee and follow me. So how do we know that Jesus' way, his truth, is different? His truth claim will actually bring about the peace and the freedom that we ache for. Now, every, um, every gospel, even every human gospel, it, prom- it promises peace and freedom. Every human gospel. So gospel is just, it's the good life. It's a narrative that we live and believe in. And I think the majority of us, would live in the Northern Beaches good life, the Northern Beaches gospel, which is pursuit of pleasure and working hard. And so we have the money to live the good life. That's what we believe in. We believe in pursuit pleasure at all costs. We live in a little peninsula to try and avoid and run away from what is going on in the world. And every single gospel promises freedom and truth. And I think the big difference here for what Jesus does And I think the big difference for why we can actually follow him is that every human gospel says people pay and God's benefit. So every human gospel has this idea that people pay and God's God's benefit. You can see this. You can go back right to the early, early power structures. Egypt, everyone suffered and was put under servitude so that the gods benefited. They worked hard day and night so that the gods, those people in charge, benefited. And I don't think it's out of the realm to say that even today, people pay. We pay, we pay with our work, we pay with our taxes, and there's actually a very, very few small percentage that truly benefit. And here's the difference. 
about Jesus' truth claim. The Christian gospel is God pays and human benefit. That the payment that's going to be put down for us to truly get access back to God and to find true freedom and peace, Jesus says, I will make the payment. I will be the one that lays down my life. I will be the one that will pour out every drop of blood and God and the gods have to pay here. The God, Jesus, the God-man, he's the one who pays so that humans benefit. This is the distinct difference between Jesus' truth claim that we don't pay, but it's actually him, God, that pays. He's the one that makes a way for us. And so when we hear this truth claim right now that you can't fix yourself, you can't save yourself, and that Jesus came to tell us the truth, and he said, this is the truth. I will pay and set you free. That is the truth that Jesus has come from, come to say, that I will pay and I will set you free. And lastly, the thing that Jesus extraordinarily says in this passage, he says that I am the life. We need life. We need life. Jesus says further on in John that I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I don't know if you have think about death often, uh, whether you're in a season that no one in your life or no one that your friends or family are on the deathbed, but it's coming for us. It's, it's literally ordained for us. Uh, in our own bodies, one in one humans will die, all of us here in this room, and that we will come acutely face-to-face with suffering and death. And so we need to hear life. We need to hear someone say, I have a way to eternal life. Now, this is when people say, you know, I think I don't believe in Jesus was the son of God. I don't, I just believe he was a great moral teacher. I'm like, man, great moral teachers, they don't say things like this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I have what lives in me is resurrection and life. That's not rational, that's not what rational people say. Jesus is again saying this extraordinary claim that he is God and he has come to heal all wounds, to heal all sin, and to heal the greatest enemy for us, which is death. Now, that moment, I don't know if you guys have a moment where the veneer of control or the veneer of pleasure gets stripped away in your life. Uh, You just get one phone call. You get one phone call. Your mum has cancer. Or one phone call and there is a terminal illness put on you or someone that you love. And just like that, your life shifts reality so quickly. And we need something more substantial than the hedonism and pursuit of pleasure that the Northern Beaches promises. I heard a preacher once say that modern life is nothing more than spending and fidgeting while waiting for death. It's this idea of spending and fidgeting while waiting for death. You know, while while we're waiting for death, a bit more online shopping. You know, while we're waiting for death, please, another pay rise. While we're waiting for death, another renovation. While we're waiting for death, another weekend away. While we're waiting for death, another politician to save us. Another 
day while I'm waiting for death. And I want, I want us to come face to face with this. Is there more than the wrestle to make sense of our life today? Can we make sense of the wrestle for life east of Eden? And I think many of us are confused and we're looking for meaning and for a way for someone to give us a way back access to true peace and purpose. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I remember having this false understanding that Christianity was all about taking away life. I know that Christians, man, we're all miserable. So I honestly had that perception growing up that Christians are miserable, that they have to follow rules and they can't do anything fun. They can't do anything fun and they're not free. And I think when I became a Christian, I realized that I was actually a slave to sin and doing whatever my desires dictated wasn't actually freedom, but it was actually slavery. And I say to everyone who's making a claim, this truth claim, when we, when we hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we have to confront and answer what he's trying to say. He's putting a very black and white statement in front of us, and we have to choose. We have to choose. And is he actually going to come through and, and deliver on what he says that he is and to give an account to what the truth of our human hearts desire? And you come face to face. I always do this grid with Christianity. I come face to face with often, I think, the other three paradigms that we live in. So atheism, what, what is the origins? And we have no idea. Where did we come from or how did we find meaning? Now, there's no real morality. It's just a power. It's a survival of the fittest. And so as we see now, those that have power thrive and those that don't do not thrive. And when the lights go out, thanks for coming, but no one will care in 50 years. Religion, and a lot of people actually follow religion and not follow the true Christianity. This is all about trying to earn your way to heaven. Be good, do good to others, and hope that God will let you in on that final day based on what you do. And I think a big one for the Northern Beaches is hedonism. This is just pursuit of pleasure and avoiding pain at all costs. And the stories of pleasure, which really come, we get to do that because we come from privilege. But who knows what we get, who knows what happens to life and death. But I'm freaking glad I live here on the Northern Beaches. And let's just do whatever we want without consequences. It's YOLO. You know, live free, die young. But I think we know deep down that there actually are consequences. And I think all these ways, atheism and religion and try harder and hedonism, pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain, doesn't match the longings of our heart. And so we come to Jesus, who says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he answers the most existential questions of life, of where did we come from, and how do we find meaning? And Jesus comes along, and Christianity says, where did you come from? All of you here, all of you listening online, all of you watching on the live stream, all of you are known. And the Bible says that God knows the amount of hairs on your head. And that in Ephesians, it actually says that he knew you before the creation of the world. And this is a big contrast to the rest of the worldviews because we're not an accident. You're not an accident. You knew you were wanted and you are known. And we also get to leave a legacy for the next generation and also for eternity that goes on beyond us. And Jesus, the way of Jesus, gives us a sense of meaning and significance, that we have a sense of security, 
that Jesus says, not only are you known and I know the amount of hairs on your head, but you have a significance and you get to join me in this mission of actually bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, and it's not fairy tales. There is truth here to be found and it's more beautiful and complicated complicated than you can comprehend. And man, this isn't, this isn't philosophy. This isn't high school philosophy. It's deep, it's rich, it's beautiful. It's multi-sensual wisdom that will open up your heart and it will also give you the love that you long for in the deepest parts of who you are. And Jesus rose from the, the dead saying that your soul will be permanent. This is what we believe in, church. This is what we follow, that Jesus can answer the deepest longings of our heart. And out of the galaxy and out of the universe, we can construct a, construct a morality, but it's just a power struggle. And Jesus says that I have a way, I have a kingdom, and it's not survival of the fittest, and it's not about pragmatism or pleasure, and ultimately our destiny is to rule and to reign in eternal life with God in a world he's recreated for our good and our glory back in the garden. And ultimately, this is why Jesus came, that you may have life and have it to its fullness. Jesus says the thief came to steal and to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And my father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go, I will prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me where I am also. This is what we believe, church, that Jesus made a way when we were lost, that Jesus is the truth. He gives us a reference point and we can believe in him and he's different because he paid and we benefit not like the other truths where people pay and God's benefit. And Jesus saying that I am the life, the resurrection and the life. I'm just going to invite Jace up and we're going to respond in worship. I had the pleasure of going <coughs> to Adelaide a couple of weeks ago. Adelaide, you, never been there before. It's actually a really beautiful city. Uh, well organized, great traffic, wide lanes in the, in the, middle, of the, in the middle of the city, unlike Sydney. Uh, but I was there because I was there for an Acts 29 conference and it's um, Acts 29 is a church planning network that we're a part of and they're all church, church plant, they've planted over 900 churches all over the world and they support church plants um, all over the Asia Pacific and we had an Asia Pacific conference in Adelaide. Really great time just to, to fill my soul. Um, but one big takeaway I took for us as a church um, and one big challenge, and it's linked to this I Am series, and I think where a lot of us are at is at the end of one of the sermons, this preacher just gave you know, a long explanation about 1 Corinthians 15 and the power of the resurrection, and he said, theology has to move us to doxology, otherwise we drift into religious idolatry. So a lot of big words, I'll say that again, theology has to move us to doxology, otherwise it becomes idolatry for us. Now, theology is just the understanding of God, who Jesus is, and doxology is worship. It's worship. 
So all these ideas that we know about Jesus, it has to move, move us to worship. Otherwise, it's just religious idolatry. And, and I think you know, and we know it in our hearts, and I think we've seen it maybe in friends and family, when we know something, and the Christians that haven't moved from theology to worship yet is because they love an argument and a debate, and it's about being right and winning an argument. And this is, that's what religious idolatry is, and theology has to move us to worship. Now, here at Anchor, of course, and in the New Testament, worship is, is more than just singing. It's how we live our life, but it's not less than singing. It can't be less than singing. And so we can't here today hear a message about Jesus coming and being the way back to the Father when we're lost and being the real truth and the real life and not move us to worship. I want to say to you, Anchor, that your heart was made for love, not just ideas. Your heart was made for love, not just consuming more ideas. That's what Jesus says when he comes to say that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And this idea that in the New Testament that knowledge puffs up, but true theology actually moves us to worship and to love. One of the, the greatest challenges of my job being a preacher is I would love nothing more than to just bend over into your soul right now and just to flick on a switch of belief. I wish it were that, was that easy. There was a switch. I could say the right things. And there's this little switch that says, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. I wish I could just bend down and just flick that for you. But I can't. It's actually we believe the Holy Spirit here. Uh, it's actually Jesus amongst us is the one to do that. And it can't be by coercion. It can't be by persuasion. It can't be by, by just by human words. It actually is a decision that you make. And each Sunday, that's what, I, that's what my heart is. That's why we gather. I want us to encounter Jesus. That is the purpose of these gatherings. It's the purpose of worship right now. I want us to encounter Jesus. So can I just encourage you, church, for all the things that we heard, to move it beyond theology, but to actually make it into doxology, into worship, into glory, and to move beyond just arguments and ideas because our heart was made for love. Can I ask you to stand as we respond in worship and let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you for thank you for making a way when we were lost. Uh, Jesus, your your way is different. Your gospel isn't asking us to work harder or to do a payment. Jesus, you made the payment. You laid down your life and made a way when we couldn't make a way. And Jesus, thank you for giving a reference point of truth and not just picking a side in a culture war or just bending to those with power, but Jesus, that you are the truth. You have come to make a way for us. And Jesus, thank you that you are life. Thank you that uh, when, yeah, when we breathe our last breath, as our eyes close and darkness comes, when we open our eyes next, we will see you, Jesus, face to face in perfect harmony back in Eden as if, as if we were walking with you. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would come and just encounter us, minister to us. I pray that you'd strip away any barriers, any hurdles that we are putting up that we cannot see you and hear from you right now, Jesus. Yeah, hear our prayers right now. 
hear our worship. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.